Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. And just a couple things I forgot. I always forget when I do announcements. Um, a couple things. One, Summer Sunday tonight for the youth group will be held here at the church, and the prices are going to oversee that, so they asked me to announce that. So, Summer Sunday here tonight. What time, Sam? Five o'clock. Five o'clock here at the church. So, if you're in the youth group here at five o'clock for Summer Sunday, right cheer. Uh, a couple other things I forgot. One, last night, you, you've probably seen this. Um, it's created some controversy, but so be it. Um, the Hill family trying to raise money for the track chair. Uh, and, and they raised over $1,600 in a raffle to give, all, give away an AR-15. Um, and they, gave that, they pulled that last night. I don't know who the winner is. I just know it wasn't me. So, um, but they, they, so if you're the winner, they'll be contacting you this week. There's a thing in your bulletin about, uh, about the veterans dinner we have on November 12th. That's if you want to volunteer. If you're a veteran... Don't worry, you're going to get an invitation. You're going to get a handwritten invitation from us, but you'll need to RSVP through the church because we've got to know who's coming because tables will be set up and all that kind of stuff. We need to know how many people are coming, how much food to fix, and it's first come, first serve. So we are sending out something like 900 to 1,000 invitations to area veterans for that veterans dinner on November 12th uh, to give away the track chair. Uh, Dale King and Steve Hayes are going to co-MC that dinner. Dale's a veteran. And also, businesses will be sponsoring the tables, and Congressional Medal of Honor winner Oliver North will come and speak that night. And his speech is not political. It has to deal with how he reconciles being a soldier and being a Christian. And so that's what he's going to be talking about. So you'll be receiving an invitation if you're a veteran. All right, we have a brand new sermon series that we kick off today. It's called More. We all think that, you know, we need more of some stuff when, in fact, we need less. You know, usually we want more stuff. We also always want more money. I know that you want more money. If I were to ask, I know exactly how much more money you all want, which is more than you have, right? That's what you want. You want more. But does that get you happiness? Does that get you closer to God? Does that? And the answer, of course, is no. What do you need more of? This month, what we're going to be preaching through is what you really need more of. And today we're going to talk about you need more scripture. You need more of the Bible. That's what you need more of. And I'm going to call an audible. Chris, if you're up there, we'll run the promo at the very end of the sermon. Just, you know, we didn't do it last night because we ran out of time. Here's what I found studying over the last couple of weeks. The average American Christian, a person who identifies themselves as Christian living in America, owns four Bibles on average. How many of you have a Bible at home? Yeah, and I'm not going to ask you how many of you read it weekly because I don't want to turn you into liars because the study also says only 26% of Christians read their Bible on a regular basis. By regular, they mean like three times a week. And I'm pretty sure when that 26% said, yeah, I do it three times a week, they counted coming to church and reading what's on the screen as one of them. Um, but So only 26% read it. Now what I'm going to argue is that you should be reading your Bible every single day. Now I understand why a lot of you aren't reading your Bible every day. There are a number of reasons. One, we're busy, but I'm going to argue you're going to have to slow down. You make time for the gym, you make time to fix dinner, you make time to... You can make time for the Bible. 
others, the other two big problems are this. One, the Bible is intimidating. It's a big book. It's actually not just a book. It's a library of books. It's 66 different books. It's a library written over thousands of years. Now, so the Bible is intimidating. I understand that. I get that. But what I'm going to show you is that if you take some baby steps, you can do this. You can do this. Number two, Bible's confusing. I get this from a lot of people. I had a guy tell me a couple weeks ago, he said, I, you know, I want to study my Bible, but I don't understand it. He said, I just don't understand what's going on. I get that too. And sometimes you're reading through the Bible, and it's just, let's just face facts. It's weird. It's just strange. Now, I've told you this story before. I became a Christian when I was 25 years old after 10 years of just partying like a pagan in Babylon. I was, that's just what I did for 10 years. And then I became a Christian. And the first thing I did is I started reading through the Bible. And so what I do, I go to the beginning. I go to Genesis 1-1. I read through Revelation. I didn't understand almost any of it. And I especially got weirded out by some of it. I mean, I get to Numbers, and there's a talking donkey. And the story's really weird. If you've read the story, you know. This guy is riding on this donkey. The donkey begins to argue with him. And I'm like, and then the guy loses the argument. And I'm like, talking donkeys? Are you serious? I'm a new Christian. I'm like, I am looking for deep truths about God and about life and about myself and about other people. And all of a sudden, a Disney movie breaks out. It's just strange. And, I, I, and I'm sure I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. One of my favorite Christian comedians, most Christian comedians just aren't that funny, unfortunately, but one that is is, is also a guy who was not a believer for many, many years and, and became a Christian uh, late in life, a guy who used to tour with Jerry Seinfeld and others. He's been on The Tonight Show, a guy by the name of Michael Jr. He's from Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan. We're going to try to bring him in here one day, hopefully, but usually he just does one show, and we're trying to bring him in on a Saturday and Sunday and all that kind of stuff. We'll get him here eventually, but it's going to take some time. But Michael Jr., you know, talks about reading the Bible for the first time. He said he went to church, and he went to church because a good-looking woman invited him to church. Ladies, take note. Um, and so a, a good-looking woman invited him to church, so he showed up to church. There was an altar call, which we don't really do here most of the time, because but, but, most altar calls are kind of emotionally manipulative. But there was an altar call. And he wanted to go, but he's like, I need to read the pamphlet first. He thought there was a pamphlet. He didn't know it was this big. And he's like, i got to read this first. And so roll the clip. Michael Jr. talked about reading the Bible for the first time. So I'm reading the Bible, and I'm going to church, and I want to go up to the altar, but I told myself I'd read the Bible first. So I read the Bible. I'm, I'm going through the, I read the whole Bible. I read the copyrights. The Bible was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading, I'm going through it, I'm reading, I keep reading, and I remember getting to the part of Matthew where it said, Jesus died for me. Yeah, I don't even know. It took me like three months to read the Bible. I had a birthday, and in February I was done. I'm 27 years old. I didn't even know Jesus died for me. People were screaming and yelling. Nobody was teaching. Not where I could understand it. And the dude, was, and I'm like, right there in Matthew, he died. I don't even know. Then I turned to Mark, and he died again. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> And then Luke and John are like, why do they keep killing them? What are they doing? <laughs> got to Revelations. I got all scared. The letters were red. I didn't know what was going on, man. 
Reading the Bible is kind of like paying bills. You're supposed to pay attention to everything, but when it show up with some red ink, you better do something, right? <laughs> All right, so you're not alone, I'm not alone. Yeah. The Bible can be confusing, I get that. Yet the Bible itself promises rewards to those who read it. Even if you struggle to understand all of it, the Bible promises rewards to those who read it. For example, 2 Timothy 3.16. This is Paul writing. Paul was a mentor to this guy named Timothy, raising him up to be a disciple and a leader. And he writes this. He says to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. That means God literally spoke it out. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, that means knock that off, correcting and training in righteousness. Righteousness can mean one of two things. Righteousness means either right relationship with God or it means growing closer to God in right actions and right state of mind. That's what righteousness can mean. I, I have lobbied, 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 lobbied Bible scholars because it, I, I, just so you know, just so you know, the Bible you have at home was not written in English. The original Bible was not written in King... It did, the Bible did not fall out of the sky in King James Version with a little ribbon on it and, and, and fake leather. That is not how it came to be. The Bible was written by men inspired by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, Matt? What do you mean inspired by the Holy Spirit? It means the Holy Spirit was behind it and guided these guys in writing Scripture. Some of them may not even known they were writing Scripture. And if you don't understand inspiration, think of it this way. How many of you have ever written a song or a story? Okay, a handful of you have. Where did it come from? You don't know, right? It's just one day it's there. If you've ever done anything creative, you don't know where it comes from. It's just there. It's the same way. And the Holy Spirit was just behind that. And so it is God breathe. It is from God. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. The same God who created the universe, the same God who created this amazing planet that we're on, the mountains, the rivers, the animals, all that kind of stuff, the same God who did all that wrote this. Now, if you had access to the wisest person in the world, would you turn that appointment down? Of course not. But here's the sad thing. You do have access to the wisest mind in all the universe. So what are you waiting for? It's there. The Bible covers so many different topics. It talks about marriage, it talks about sex, it talks about all that stuff. It talks about raising kids, it talks about, because it does talk about sex. I'm sorry, the Song of Solomon is about sex. I know a lot of preachers get embarrassed by it, so they're like, you know, oh, no, 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 it's about Jesus and the church. I'm thinking, Jesus would not do that to church. Um, that, is, that is not what that's about, okay? It is about sex. And so, you know, it, it covers so many different topics. It covers Everything, money, you name it. It's all there. 
promises rewards. In fact, even in the Old Testament, Isaiah 55, 11, the prophet Isaiah said this, talking about the word of God. He said, so my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That's the word of God. It will not come back empty. It will achieve its purpose. If you study your Bible, read your Bible, it will achieve God's purpose. All right, so let's talk about the Bible. Bible 101. Here we go. One we already covered. The Bible was written by men, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself says this in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 26. He tells his disciples, my spirit will come, and it will remind you about what I've taught you. He's telling the spirit will come and will guide you in writing this stuff down. Now, why do we have four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Why? Four different Gospels about, about Jesus. Well, look, there's a long story behind it that I'm not going to bore you with, but it all comes down to this. They were written to four different audiences originally. So Matthew was written to Jewish Christians. These are Jews who have become Christians and largely have been just kind of kicked to the curb by their fellow Jews. Mark was Peter's kind of stock sermon to non-Jews. Luke was specifically written to non-Jews who had become Christians and were really under pressure because there was this group that was coming out of Israel saying, you have to become a Jew first and then you can become a Christian. You have to get circumcised <laughs> as an adult. You can see why they objected. I want to know who checked for that, by the way. Um, you, and so Luke was written to address that. And then John is written, written way later when John is an old man and the eyewitnesses have begun to die off. And he's written to address a whole generation of Christians who did not have access to Peter and Paul and, and all that kind of stuff. Didn't have access to the eyewitnesses who were there and saw Jesus live and die and, and rise. So it's written for different reasons, different audience. For us, it's four different views of the same thing. It's a blessing to us because it's just like this. J. Warner Wallace is going to be here at the end of September, early October. He was a homicide detective who became a Christian because he studied the Gospels the same way he studied a crime scene, and he came to faith that way. And he says that if you really want to study a crime scene, what do you want? You want eyewitnesses. Are the eyewitnesses all going to say the same thing about the same event? No, they're going to have four different perspectives, and that's what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They don't contradict each other, by the way, but they do offer, they supplement each other. That's one. Number two, you need to understand this. The Bible is one long story. It is one story. It may be 66 books, but it is one story. And it is all about God and his faithfulness and our unfaithfulness. That's what it's all about. God's faithfulness despite the fact we are not faithful. There's only one hero in the Bible. It's not David. It's not Moses. It's certainly not Noah. I mean, we've, we've redone. I don't know if you've looked in the children's area. You should. We're totally redoing our children's ministry back there. We've had an artist back there doing the ark and all kinds of stuff back in the hive. It's, it looks amazing, and she's not even done yet. It's going to look incredible back there, and we're going to turn it into a, like a little ark and all that kind of stuff. But, but that being said, you can't read the entire story of Noah to kids because what does Noah do when he gets off the boat? gets drunk and naked like a hillbilly on vacation, right? That's what he does. And so 
it is not, the people are not the heroes. God is the only hero in the Bible. Now, what Dad's going to do next week is he's going to encourage you parents and grandparents to disciple your own kids and grandkids. Otherwise, the culture is going to do it for you. You can't, you know, think one hour, two hour week is going to do it. You're going to have to do it yourselves. But one of the things I am begging you, do not do, is like read the story of David or the story of David and Goliath. Now, be like David. Really? You want to be like David? Have you read the whole story about David? I don't think you want your kids to be like David. What do you want them to be like? Jesus Christ. That is our only real example. That is it. It is one story. And if you read it carefully, now what I'm going to argue here in a minute is don't start in Genesis like I did. If you've never read the Bible, don't start in Genesis 1. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying you'll get confused, all kinds of stuff. But from Genesis to Revelation, it is all about Jesus Christ. Even the Old Testament is all about Jesus Christ. Jesus says this himself in the Gospel of John. He said, you study the Scripture and you've missed it, that it's all about me. It is all about Jesus Christ. Say, Matt, what do you mean? Well, in Genesis 3, for example, Genesis 3 talks about the fall. This is the first sin. Adam and Eve commit the first sin. Satan comes in the form of a snake, tempts them. They give in to temptation. By the way, if Adam had been a redneck, we never would have had the first sin. Because we all know what a redneck guy does when he sees a snake. Yeah, here, right? But, but you know, they come, the snake comes, tempts them, they do it. And then what does God say? God pronounces judgment and he says this. He says, a man will come, he will be, he will, be inflicted by a fatal blow. That's the snake bite. Because back then there was no cure for snake bites. He would have a fatal blow, but he, in doing that he will crush the serpent's head. That's Genesis 3. Who is God talking about? Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. All right, so where do you start? Don't go out there and quote, Pastor Matt said not to read Genesis. That is not what I said. I said don't start in Genesis. Start in one of the Gospels. And I don't care which one you pick. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, pick one and go. Now, you're going to say, I, okay, I'll do that, but Matt, that doesn't mean I'll understand it. Welcome to the party, pal. Okay, you're not going to understand all of it. You're not going to understand all of it. But let's say you understand one-tenth of it. How much is one-tenth of ultimate wisdom worth to you? Does that make sense? Even if you understand 10%, of the greatest truth ever given to humankind, is that not worth it? See my point? Now, the simple fact is, we are the most biblically illiterate, that means we just don't know our Bible, of any Americans in the last 200 years, 200 plus years. Despite the fact that we have access to more information, free information, online, we have more information than the monks had in their great libraries, the monasteries, the Middle East. We have so much more information, free information, by good sources. And I've got some listed in your bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin this morning, grab one. Bible.org, that's run by Dallas Theological Seminary. Gotquestions.org, that's an apologetic website. 
uh, coldcasechristianity.com. That's J. Warner Wallace's. If you have a question, if you're reading through your Bible, I don't get it. You can go to one of those websites and they'll help you understand it. And it only take a few minutes. Most of those articles are very, very short. All right, are you with me so far? Well, I got one yes. Okay, I got some more selling to do. Okay, here we go. Um, Here's the deal. When you read through a book of the Bible, whether it's the Gospels, whether if it's a letter from Paul or a letter from Peter or a letter from John or James or whoever, here's the way it was meant to be read in one sitting. In one sitting. You're like, Matt, come on. It actually doesn't take that long. Trust me, a baseball game is much longer than it takes to read through one gospel. And if you're a Cincinnati Reds fan, it's just frustrating to watch that game anyway, so what difference does it make? My son could pitch for the Reds right now, right? Might as well just throw underhand. I don't know why they just don't put up a T, for goodness sakes, at this point. But it's meant to be read through in one sitting. One sitting. When Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, my wife's been studying Romans like crazy lately, and, and, and Romans has 16 chapters. It's not so much a letter as it is a sermon. It was a letter in the, in the New Testament was sent as a sermon. So if Paul couldn't go somewhere, he would write a letter, and they would stand up in the church, and they would read it all the way through as if Paul was there preaching. So that's how it's meant. We've got into this devotional culture, and I'm not against devotional reading, but we pick up these devotionals, and it has like one line, and we read that, and maybe we think about it for like three seconds, and we walk away. Is that how anything is supposed to be read? If you get a text message, do you read, and it's like three lines, do you read one line and say, I'm going to go think about that, and I'll look at the rest of it tomorrow, and I'll read another line tomorrow, and then I'll read a third line on like Wednesday? Is that how you read a text message? Some of you are looking like you do. That's weird. We need to talk. That is not how texting works, guys. All right, but no, you don't read anything. like You don't read an email that way. You don't read a text message that way. You don't read a magazine article that way, a blog post that way. Why do you read Scripture that way? That is not how Scripture was meant to be read. You say, okay, all right, Matt, fine, 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 fine. Let's say I put some time away every week, like on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon or whatever, or lunchtime, and I say I'm going to read through Philippians, which takes like 10 minutes, by the way, or I'm going to read through Ephesians, or I'm going to do that. Okay. But how do I know I can trust the Bible? How do I know I can trust that what the Bible is telling me is true? Here's how you know. You evaluate any claim first and foremost, by the person making the claim. So, let's say that someone said they saw a rabbi, a teacher, live, die, executed, and rose. And then those people said, and in fact, they were threatened with death, threatened with torture, and all they had to do to get out of torture and death was say, I made the whole thing up, didn't see a thing, don't know what, you know, sorry, I recant, I was lying. 
But they say, no, no, I saw it. Not just one, not just two, not just three, not just four, not five, six, seven, eleven men all said, we all saw the exact same thing. And I would rather die than deny what I am telling you. Then can you trust it? Now, you have all kinds of weird theories out there from atheists and agnostics saying, well, maybe they hallucinated. Individuals do not share hallucinations. I don't wake up in the morning and go, hey, Megan, what'd you think of that dream I had last night? She's going, what? Hallucinations are individuals, and they, have, they vary. They're different. But when, So if 11 people are saying, we all saw the same thing, that's not a hallucination. That's a claim, eyewitness claim to truth. And the simple fact is, we do know from history that 10 of the surviving 11 disciples that walked with Jesus were tortured and died horrible deaths. I'm talking about being boiled alive, skinned alive, stabbed, crucified, and they all said, I saw it, you can kill me, but I will not go back on what I have seen. Peter was actually crucified upside down in Rome. They said, we're going to crucify you. He said, I am not worthy to die like my Lord, crucify me upside down. Paul was beheaded. John, as an old man, was shipped off to a desert island. And you think, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. If you're in your 70s, do you want to go play Survivor on a desert island? He did. He had to. That's how you know you can trust it. You say, but yeah, but man, it's weird. You just talked about the talking donkey. And what about Jonah? I hear this all the time. Jonah. There's no way Jonah can be true. A whale cannot, you can't, can't swallow a person, and a person cannot survive in the belly of a whale for three days. That's weird. Don't even try to sell me on that. Really. Pause for suspense. 1891. Ship off the coast of Africa, hunting sperm whale. You may not approve of that, but it went on. They're out there hunting a sperm whale. The sperm whale, by the way, those sperm whales will fight back, and they did. If you've seen the movie In the Heart of the Sea or read the book, the book's a lot better than the movie, by the way, but if you've read the book or seen the movie, you know that they fight back. This one did. Whaling ship, 1891, sperm whale rams the boat. They eventually hunt it down and get it, and they pull it up onto the boat after about a day of hunting it. They notice after they have pulled this whale up that they're missing two crewmen. Well, they must have gone overboard. We don't see them. That happens at sea. That's the way it was. It was a dangerous business. So they then began the slow process of cutting down this whale, taking what they want. About a half a day in, they finally get to its stomach, and they notice something moving in the stomach. They cut the stomach open, and one of the crewmen is there alive. Want to talk about Jonah? Now, the guy was completely bleached white from the whale's stomach acid. Now you know why they listened to Jonah when he showed up in Nineveh. He was bleached white and he looked weird. Um, but, so I get these objections all the time, but I hear these objections, then we go, look, I remember when I went to Shawnee State as an undergraduate, they're saying, there's no evidence that da the King David ever existed. Then two years later, I'm in seminary, guess what they dig up? A relic from that same time talking about King David. 
Yes, you can trust the Bible even when it's weird. I promise you, you can. And at the end of the day, what it's going to do is this. There are a lot of beliefs out there about Christianity that are not found in the Bible. So, for example, I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago. And this person said, I don't understand it. He said, I go to church. I tithe. I don't do drugs. I, I, I pay my taxes. I, I go to Bible studies when I can. I listen to the sermon. I do all that kind of stuff. And yet, my life just has trial after trial after trial. And my ex is out there partying, and she's just having a good time. Why is God blessing her and putting me through all of this? See, that's the popular belief, that if you're good, God will reward you. Is that what the Bible teaches? If you've read the Bible, you know that is not what it teaches. The Bible actually says that you will be tested. That it, in fact, it says, if God loves you, he will test you. Why? To make you stronger. Trials and tribulations that come along, come along for a reason. To make you a stronger follower of Jesus Christ. They're not there to crush you. They're not there because God is necessarily punishing you. It's not there because God is mad at you. It's because God actually loves you and he wants you to be stronger. That's what the Bible teaches. So if you don't read the Bible, you're going to fall into that popular myth that if I become a Christian, God's just going to rain down health and wealth and all this other kind of stuff. You know, You've heard me say before, I lived in Hollywood for two years. I knew a lot of spoiled rich kids, a lot of Beverly Hills brats. I mean, when they turned 16, they weren't given some used car. They were given a brand new Beamer. They had their own credit cards, platinum, I mean, all that kind of stuff at 16. They had everything a person could want. And you know what I found? They were incredibly shallow incredibly shallow. People who just walk through the raindrops are shallow people. People who have been tested, who have gone through those tests, they've gone through the fire, they're strong. In fact, the Bible itself says, I did a funeral this week, and one of the scriptures I read was Paul and Corinthians saying, you will go through hardships so that you can help others who go through the same hardship. That's what the Bible teaches. If you don't read your Bible, you're going to fall into a lot of those popular myths out there. It's all there. This is what studying the Bible will do for you. And Peter, Jesus' closest friend on earth, wrote this in 1 Peter 3 through 12. Can we throw it up there? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord, I hate that word, it should be King, King Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. What's that hope? Heaven. See, that's the other thing you got to understand. Our reward is not now. We are tested now. Our reward is an eternity with Jesus Christ. I'll talk more about that here in a second. 
through the re- hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What is shielded? Your salvation. That's what it's talking about. In all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have, look at this, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Those have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace. See, prophets spoke of who? Jesus Christ. Of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care. Trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing. When he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Even angels long for this that you have that is collecting dust on your shelf. If you study the Bible, you will learn what life is really about. This Life is about our relationship with God and the trials we have to undergo to get to the other side, to get to paradise. Now, if you have had a good life, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying, oh man, I've had a pretty good life. Pastor Matt says God loves me if he tests me. I need to go out there and cause some trouble and get tested. Don't do that. All right, trust me, it'll come. You don't have to go looking for it, all right? It will happen. I, I, I had one of those weeks, a couple weeks ago. It was just boom, 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 boom. One thing after another. Megan was sick. The AC went out. My stomach was acted up. It was all like within 24 hours. We're dealing with everything here. We're trying to get everything together and all this other kind of stuff. And, and you know, I'm reading through the Bible. and says, God, you know, test those he loves. I'm like, well, he loves the heck out of me then, doesn't he? But that's the way it works. That's the way it works. If you read scripture, you will understand most of what the culture tells you is true and right So, is not. It's not. Absolutely not. And we have access to the greatest wisdom that has ever existed. Why would you not go to it? So, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a gym rat. I'm a trainer. I've been trying to build up a training business on the side. You know, and so... You know, if I see these people come into the gym all the time, and they can afford a trainer, I know, because they're coming in with, like, it's funny. I always recognize somebody's new to a gym because they spent a fortune on clothes to sweat into, which is weird. And so they've got, like, $200 shoes. They've got, like, $300 on them and then to go sweat in, and they got a Fitbit and all that other kind of stuff. And they go there, and they have, it is absolutely clear within five minutes, they have no idea what they're doing. And they're going to hurt themselves. And so sometimes, even though I'm not getting paid to it, I'm like, hey, dude, come, come, come here. Don't do that. 
Why? Because you'll break your back. That's why. Don't, don't, don't do that. You know, you're going to pull something you want to use in the future. Trust me, okay? So just don't, don't do that. If you had access, you go into a gym, you have access, somebody shows you how to do things that will make you better, fitter, all that kind of stuff, would you say no? Why would you say no to this great wisdom about all of life? Every area of life. And I know, again, I know it's weird. I know still the story of Jonah is weird. Even though the story of Jonah has absolutely nothing to do with the whale. The whale gets all the press. It's not about the whale. The whale is two things in that story. It is salvation, not judgment. Read the book. Two, it is cheap transportation. That's it. The whole story of Jonah is about Jonah being a racist who hates these people and God going, you're going to go preach to them because I love them. The story of Jonah, the whole point of the story of Jonah is God saying, I love everybody, dummy. That's the point of the story of Jonah. I know it's weird. I told you the joke before. It's one of my favorite. A little Christian girl, seventh grade, first secular science class, and she's arguing with the, with the teacher. The teacher finally takes her side in class. Says, now, look, you can't do this. We have to study science here. That's the way we do it. She says, well, you know, I, I'm a Christian, but I said, I, you, can't, you can't preach that stuff here. This is school. Besides, little girl, you're going to have you're in for a harsh awakening because Christianity is not true. And the little girl said, what do you mean? So, well, let's take the story of Jonah, for example. A whale cannot swallow a person. And the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah about that. And the teacher said, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? The little girl said, well, then you ask him. Uh, I know it's strange. I know there's a lot of stuff there you have to wrestle with. There's a lot of words. And here's the other thing you need to keep in mind. You may have, to, you may have four Bibles. You may need a fifth because the Bibles you have, you may not be able to understand because they were not written for you. There's a reason why there's like 50 different translations of the Bible out there. Bibles, different translations are written for different audiences. They're written for different reading levels, for one thing. So it takes a junior high reading level to understand the NIV. It takes a college level to understand the King James Bible. So if you give your kid, your five-year-old, a King James Bible, they're not going to understand maybe one every ten words in it. Because it's speaking like Shakespearean English. How many five-year-olds do you go, here, honey, you want something to read? Here's Hamlet. You know, you don't do that. So you have to look at the reading level. So if you don't have a high reading level, nothing wrong with that. But if you don't, you need to pick up something like the message. Something that's easier to read. That's the way that works. and Because you need to understand something. Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, and that's what the Bible was originally written in. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic. There's a little Aramaic in the Old Testament. And so scholars, when they translate it, they kind of struggle with some of the words because a lot of the words do not have an English equivalent to it. It's just not there. If you, some of you who have studied languages know that. If you study Spanish or whatever, you know that there's not always an English word that, that really translates what's going on over there. 
And then here's the other thing. We've gotten into, as I mentioned earlier, this tradition of using churchy words that nobody understands. You're going to tell me the average person on the street understands the word holy or righteousness or justification? They have no idea what that means. No idea. I have begged Bible translators. I know some of them because some of them were my teachers in seminary. I have begged them, stop doing that. Stop using Christianese. Only Christians understand it, and maybe only half of them really understand it. Stop doing that. Just use plain English. And I know plain English sometimes is a struggle for us in Appalachia too, but still, plain English. But I will say this. If you study Greek, you'll learn this. Y'all is good Greek. Y'all is good Greek. Just saying. God's a Kentuckian. So, study your Bible. Where to begin? Begin in a gospel. Pick a gospel. I don't care which one it is. Set aside an hour, hour and a half to read through that gospel. And just start, you will understand some of it, but I promise you this. The Bible says you will be rewarded. And if you take that which you're reading and then you apply it to your, your life, you will be blessed, not necessarily with things and money and, all, and health and all that kind of stuff, but you will be blessed in growing closer to God and understanding more of his wisdom. God knows how you are to live because he made you. And so if God disagrees with Dr. Phil, God is right. That's just the way it is. Thomas Watson wrote, read the scripture not only as history, but as a love letter sent to you from God. God did not have to give us this. He did not have to give us these 66 books. It is grace upon grace. It is grace upon grace. And I'll tell you, I'm not complaining. The tests that come, I don't want them to come. I'm a wimp. I don't care how much I work out. I don't want tests. I want Netflix. I want couch. I want pizza. That's what I want. I get it. I get it. So, but the tests just will come. This church is being tested. It is being tested. And what we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to stay on mission or are we just going to give up? Christians, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, Christ says, take up your cross and follow me. And so there will be rough times ahead. No Christian, no person who says they're following Jesus Christ can curl up in the fetal position and start sucking their thumb. You've got to stand straight up and say, bring it on. What's the worst that can happen to you? Die, you go to heaven. Read your Bible. And read your Bible not just with yourself. Read it to your kids, your grandkids. Every once in a while, my wife's beyond that she's she, every once in a while. by the way she didn't she do a great job you know this morning uh i know i'm biased but i think she did a great job and she's breaking in a new band and and, and they're great and and so but it's i'm just so proud of her but every once in a while we'll be just sitting in there and sitting around the house and she'll throw the bible at me go okay read read me some scripture okay 
You should do that with your wife, your spouse, your, your, your kids, all that kind of stuff. If, if you want to read your kids, if you're afraid of like, because there are parts of the Bible you don't want to read to your kids. You don't want to read the book of Judges to your kids. They're chopping up a prostitute in part of it. You don't want to have to explain that to your four-year-old, okay? So, but there's this thing called the Jesus Storybook by Sally Lloyd-Jones. If you have kids, get that book. That book is a magnificent book to read to your kids and grandkids. It is absolutely amazing. And Dad's going to talk more about this next week. Next week, Dad's going to hit on, on this sermon series more. He's going to hit on you, more, it's called more breathing room. And what that means is more breathing room for your family. We need more family time together. And part of that needs to be studying scripture and praying together. That absolutely, positively has to happen. Now, I'm almost done. We'll beat the Baptist at the restaurants. Just give me one more minute. As you know, every time we do a sermon series, we shoot a little promo that we put up on Instagram and Facebook, and we always ask you guys to like and share it. And so our brand new one we just shot uh, last week, and we would have had it up sooner, but talk about tests, our, Chris, our AV guy, who does a great job, by the way. Um, Chris got kidney stones, um, so he's been fighting that off. But somehow, he, he, even with kidney stones, he was here working, by the way, and putting this together. So we have a new promo for our sermon series more. Chris, if you would, roll it. So that is sometimes a new promo for more. more. Do you like you it? You really need less. But sometimes you really do need more. So be sure sermon series to like season. and share that if, if you would so that we can reach. We really want un, unchurched people to see that and to come check us out. And if you see somebody here that you haven't seen before, you know, just say hi. They may have been here before and it's weird. That's okay. That doesn't matter. Um, just say hi anyway. All right, guys. Um, the only thing I have left is I'm trying to remember what else I was supposed to uh, announce. Remember the Summer Splash thing. We do need you to RSVP. If you want to volunteer for the veterans dinner, that's in the bulletin. You can fill that out. If you are a veteran, don't volunteer. We don't want you working. We want to serve you. We don't want you to serve, okay? You've already served. And so we just want to have a night where it's just all about you. So fill that out if you would. We're making progress on the track chair. The vision statement, we have a draft of a new vision statement, goals, purposes, and values. That is in the hands of uh, the last member of our board of trustees, Pat Apel, is looking over it now. When Pat has his say-so, then we will, once we're done with that, we will begin rolling that out in September. But we're going to really kind of focus on like a laser on our new vision statement and stuff. That'll come out in September. New church policies, all that kind of stuff, all that's going to be rolled out. So... That's what I have. Let me pray for you, and then we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for grace upon grace. You've already given us salvation, which we don't deserve. Every good thing comes from you. So anything we have, anything that's good is grace for you. We don't deserve it. And we certainly don't deserve access to your great wisdom in the 66 books that make up your Bible.
And what I ask is that everyone here would just take an hour, two hours a week and just read through one of your Gospels. Take half an hour at lunch or whatever, read through one of Paul's letters. Help them to understand it, but even if they struggle with it, be with them in that struggle. Help them to find the resources they need to understand it. May they grow in you for your honor and your glory. Not to puff them up with pride, but to fill them with your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, God bless you. Have a great week. See ya. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.